presentation of my working biblical theological model of ministry in my local context. And uh, it sounds pretty big and, and lofty, um, but really what it means is this, is I need to present to my class what it is that we as a church are in our context, what it is that we are aiming at, um, what it is that we as a, as a church are, are about. What does the Bible say about my role? What does the Bible say about your role? Where are we doing well and where are we lacking? And as I thought about the preparation for this, I thought how good it would be for us, uh, especially this January 1st, 2007, just to, to rehash and rethink through why it is that we exist. What's our, what's our goal? What's our, our vision? What are we aiming at? I mean, it's a, it's a natural time here at the beginning of the new year to, to really reflect upon our, our lives and what we're doing. It's a good time for us at church really to think about what it is that, that we are doing. It's a, it's a time, natural time for us to think about maybe ways we want to live differently. We want to do the same old, same thing in 2016 or as we did 2017 as we did in 2016, or do we want to, you know, really, really think about changing our life in some regard? So my message this morning is entitled "Biblical Theological Model of Ministry." Now that that might sound intimidating, but I, I guarantee I'm going to preach it. As a part of this, um, I've got 30. Five-minute presentation, and so I'm going to preach for longer than that. And this is only a subset of my uh, of my presentation, so I'll have to be less preachy in my class, but it'll come across just like a, a sermon um, this morning. And uh, my message is going to be different than a normal message. Normally, what we do is we take a text and we get out our shovels and we start digging deep, and we just start going. And I try. Not to have us turn around and waste our time in other books of the Bible, other portions of the Bible. Just dig really deep into there and in the context of the biblical book which that is around. Um, but today's going to be different. We're not digging a well today. Today we're surveying the land. And so we're going to be kind of walking around on the land. I've tried to make it as simple as possible, putting a lot of verses on the overhead so we don't waste time just kind of going through from one text to another text. Um, but I'm just praying that God might give you a renewed vision for the church and a renewed vision for Rock Valley Bible Church and all that, that it could be. So let me pray. Father, I would pray, God, that we as a church would be unified in our, our vision and direction, what it is that you have called us to be and to do. Father, how we are, are called to do that here in this local context at Rock Valley Bible Church at Loves Park, Illinois. January 1st, 2017. God, there are principles which are true and everlasting and true of every church. And yet in our context, there are, are, are different ways that people can flesh those things out. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, God, capture our hearts this morning. God, convict us where we could volunteer in, in some ways to do things differently or to help more to pitch in or to really see our, our role of, of what it is that we're doing and where we're lacking. So, Help us in that, O oh God, I pray. God, use, use your word mightily in our hearts. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought it'd be helpful for us to talk about our purpose. Why does Rock Valley Bible Church exist? Now, this is like a kindergarten question for all of you, and I hope you answer it. We exist to enjoy His grace and... To extend His glory. Let's say it again. We exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. Um, it's all over what we do. If you look at our website, there it is. Right, Enjoying His grace, 
extending His glory. That's what we're about. We're about enjoying His grace, extending His glory. If you look at your bulletin, it's, it's right there on your, your bulletin. If you have a mug at home, which I hope you do, and you drink from it often, here it is, enjoying His grace, extending His glory. It should be right there. It should be forefront in your mind. If you receive the weekly word, which most of you have received many, 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 it is right there. We exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. You say, what does that mean? here's, Here's what it means. It means that we exist so as to be joyful recipients of the grace of God in such a way that that grace then empowers us to live our lives and to reach out and extend the glory of God beyond our local context of where we are. Now, it, it, it says that, that we live our lives the glory of God, but that, but that, that doesn't merely end with us, right? The, the glory of the Lord ends when other people come to Christ, when that glory is, is extended as we share the gospel with others, we call others to join in and seeing our influence expand across this city and across this globe. That's what it means. Now, there are many other ways that people can say this, because you think about what is it? What's what, we've been saved, right? And we've been saved, so we serve and are equipped and then go out. I mean, that's basically what it is. And, and some churches say it differently. They say that we, we, work, we reach up to God in worship, and, and we reach in towards one another, and we reach out towards the world. It's just saying the same thing. Um, we say that we exist to exalt the Savior and equip the saints to evangelize the world. I mean, that's... Those are nice alliterations. You can say that we exist to love God and love others. That's saying the same thing. You can say that we exist to know Christ vertically and to make him known horizontally. Or you can say that our, that our aim is to win people and build them and to send them or to gather and grow and give and then go. You can say it lots of different ways. This is the way that we have, have chosen to say it. But there's a God word purpose, a worship and exaltation, and then a man word focus as well. But one of the reasons we've chosen this way to say it, enjoying His grace, extending His glory, is, is because of the flavor that such phraseology puts in our purpose. It's not just cold. I mean, I, I think about exalting the Savior, equipping the saints, evangelizing the world. That, that's okay. But when we get to think about our salvation, we are, should enjoy His grace. That is, we should we should lavish in that grace. We should, we, we, we should just be blown away by the grace of God. And as even our songs today focus on the gospel, as we focus on Christ, that'll just blow us away to such an extent that we can't help but to say it to other people. And that brings glory to God in much more ways than it says, oh, well, I need to share the gospel. So someone told me I need to share the gospel. So here it is. And I think it's more effective when it comes from the heart. Like, God, what has he done for my soul? And here is what he's done. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Illustrations in the Bible abound on that. I mean, take the leper that Jesus healed. Jesus healed him and told him to say nothing to anyone but to show himself to the priests. And what happened? Here you go. I put a, a verse right up there. Mark 1, 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it. And to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. So another, be quiet. And what he, he was so changed and transformed, but he couldn't help but to speak it forth. That's what enjoying his grace and extending his glory is about. So enjoying it that you must extend. Uh, another example, all right? uh, the deaf man Jesus healed. When his ears were open and his tongue was leashed, um, 
and he spoke plainly, Jesus charged all those around. What you saw, don't tell anyone. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Don't evangelize. Don't speak about me. Right? And you say, well, why did he do that? Well, it could be because he wanted to be in the cities, right? But the more people know he, he was so crowded that he, he couldn't do that, what, what Mark 145 spoke about. But what happened was that they, they were so impacted by the grace of God, not even their life, but what they saw, that they, they just spread his name and spread his fame. And I think that the more you understand the grace of God, the more you enjoy the grace of God, the more the gospel will spurt out of you. you know, it works like this. If you experience something that really excites you, you're going to talk about it. I mean, you, you, you just are. Um, say your child's athletic abilities. Right? If you're going to the games, you're really excited about it, you're going you're to talk about it. Or a new toy or some YouTube video you saw or some event that you're excited about. You can't, you can't help but to talk about it. Come here, why don't you come and see my child perform? Uh, let me tell you about this new drone I purchased. Right? Or, or, or look at the new Lego set that I got for Christmas. Let me tell you about that. Or do you see that dude perfect shot where they, they, they made a basketball shot from 500 feet in the air on the top of the building? It was amazing. Our kids who were at the youth retreat last year, are you coming to the retreat this year? Come on, it was, it was great fun. We learned a lot. It was great last time. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how God has wired us. The things that impact us ought to come out of our mouths. And so it is with the gospel. But what the world does with its toys and its shows, we have to do with the gospel of Christ. The free forgiveness that's lavished upon us in Jesus ought to come with such an impact that we cannot help but to tell us other. Imagine this. What if Jesus told you, don't share the gospel? Would you? Jesus said, no, don't, don't, don't evangelize this week, right? Don't, don't talk to anyone about Jesus this week. Would you? If you understand the grace of God, you can't help. It'd be, like, it'd be like someone having a laughing contest. You know, when someone's trying to make you laugh and you're kind of like, oh, finally you laugh. You just, you, you, can't, you can't, as much as you try to hold it in, if you're truly impacted and truly enjoy the grace of God, you're going to put it out. Things that we enjoy, we speak about with others. And so likewise, we as a church exist to enjoy the grace of God in its fullness to extend the glory of God to the nations. That is Psalm 67. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine on us. God, just bless us. God, shine on us. Why? Psalm 67 verse 2, that your name may be proclaimed to all the nations. And the aim, Psalm 67 verse 3, is let all the nations praise you, O God. Let, let, let you be glorified, not only in me, but in me being blessed, telling other nations, having other people come, and so that your glory is extended. That's why we exist. So let me, let me ask you, if you think about, um, about one of these things, which are, we, which are we better at and which are we worse at? Extending his grace, enjoying his grace, extending his glory. I, I tend to think that we're weak in the, the second one. Extending his glory. We're weak in evangelism. It could be because I'm weak in evangelism. Uh, I remember someone told me recently that the, the greatest impetus for an evangelistic church is an evangelistic pastor. And I'm, I'm not that as well as I should be, as well as I, I want to be. I want to grow in that. Here's an, here's an area in which I, I want to grow in as we think about 2000. 17. 
And I do believe the path to that is truly enjoying the gospel and relationship with God, and then it can't help to get out. Well, we, we do have also a plan. I, I think may, probably all of you might say, well, I'm weak in evangelism as well. Maybe there's some of you who say, no, I'm weak in enjoying His grace. Well, it's wonderful. My guess is that it's the latter. And uh, you know, one of the things that we are thinking about doing, planning on, making steps towards, is joining a network of churches, uh, Crossway Network. Um, Tom Harkis leads that network. Uh, Clark Richardson has been here before. Uh, just a, they're an evangelistic association of churches, um, just to help us with that heart of evangelism. Uh, I know I remember Tom Harkis came here, whatever, three years ago or, or whatever, and he just stirred my heart um, in a fresh way um, to, to really reach out. I mean, he's just an evangelist that way, and his network of churches. There are probably about fifteen churches, maybe in this network, twenty churches. And uh, we did some training with them last fall, I think, maybe last spring um, in the Fox Valley area. We're just thinking about maybe doing some more of that just to help us where we are weak because this is where we are to help us with that. Also, one of the things that they are really keen on is planting churches. I mean, one of the things that we see what Darren read for us, Matthew 28, is what we need to do is we be making disciples of all nations. And how do you do that? You do that by reaching out and helping and always supporting new works. And they're a network committed to church planting, and so we, uh, we just can't, we just don't have the resources, don't have the ability at this point, but we join up, we could perhaps be part of that. So there'll be more to come in that, but that's just something that we are doing in light of uh, a weakness of where we are. We haven't joined yet, we'll get more information about that, but that's kind of just something we're thinking about. Well, my second point, uh, biblical theological model of ministry, what our purpose is, and now let's talk about our distinctives. Now here I need to be careful because this preaches really well and I want to get to some other real practical things. But we need to understand, right, what, what is it that sets us apart from the, street, from the church down the street? I mean, uh, if you, you're right in here, if you go up north on Alpine, there are, there's a, a Nazarene church there and there's some kind of other church there. There's a Methodist church there. There's a Korean church there. If you turn right onto Harlem, there's some kind of wine harvest church there, whatever that is. If you go this way, there's some churches. I mean, we, there are hundreds of churches in Rockford. Why, why Rock Valley Bible Church? What, what sets us apart from the other churches? Why, why, why are we here? Why, why, why not just close the doors and just say other churches are doing this? What, what about us? What sets us apart? <clears throat> well, I believe there are three characteristics, really, that set us apart. Uh, first of all, here, we believe in the power of the Word of God. We believe in the power of, of the Word of God. In other words, we believe, Hebrews 4.12, that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We really believe that, that the Word of God is living and active and will pierce into the souls of men. Uh, Jerry, I appreciate what you shared at prayer meeting this morning, Jerry, when you said my words will just bounce off, but God's word will, some I can't articulate quite like you did, but kind of sink down and, and pierce our hearts. That's what God's word does. And we believe that. We believe that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We believe that the word of the Lord endures forever. Our fighter verse this week that we went over in prayer meeting is Isaiah 40, verse 8 which Peter quotes from that 
which it says this, the word of the Lord abides forever. And we believe this, right? The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word abides forever. I grew up in a church that was a a weaker church. <clears throat> I remember the pastor would stand there in his robe, his dress is what I can call it now, on Sundays and just say, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Kind of like reverence, but, but didn't treat it like what, what, what stands forever. You treat with, with reverence and you understand it and you look at it and you spend much time there rather than just treating it as a flippant way like the church I grew up in did. We really believe the Word of God stands forever. And we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You say, how can someone be equipped for every good work? It's the Scriptures that do it. It's not this book. It's not that book. It's not this program. It's not that person. It's the Word of God which is sufficient which is um, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness. It is, it is the Bible. We believe that. Now, churches say that, and um, many churches do believe that, but there are lots of churches that don't. But, but we stand, this is one of the things that helps distinguish. This doesn't distinguish us from every church, but I, I think one way you illustrate that is go no further than the pulpit. I mean, th- there's a reason why, in general, we dig deep we just go verse by verse through books of the Bible is because we just want to say that this word is profitable and helpful and this is going to help us. Let's, let's preach God's wisdom in God's way as he has revealed it to us. We don't need to go chasing down every relevant topic of the day trying to get my wisdom into you to help the Christian life. It, Second Timothy, it's the scripture which is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for creating righteousness. It's not, it's not this topical series you need to hear about and that topical series and that topical series and that topical series. No, it is, it's the Bible that's going to help. So fundamentally, we want to take the Bible and use the Bible because we really believe the scripture is profitable for this. We want to let God speak. Um, a few years ago, I preached through Leviticus, chapter by chapter, and Sunday by Sunday. Now, that's not the best way to grow a large church, okay? Um, I know that. But it is the best way to let God's word speak in our lives, to just bring it out and bring it out and bring it out, believing, 2 Timothy 3.16, that it is profitable for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. And and so just beyond the pulpit, though, we we long to be a Bible-saturated people. You know, uh, we encourage Scripture reading, encourage strongly scripture memorization. Scriptures are our focus in our small groups. In our prayer meeting, it is the scriptures are our focus. Our youth groups, youth retreats, it is the Bible that is taught and believed and pursued. We really believe the power of the word of God. So let's seek to loose it in our lives. Well, I could say much more, but I gotta get going on this, this point. Second, we believe in the power of God. Fundamentally, that's why we believe in the power of the Word of God is because the God of the Word who backs up that Word backs it with power. When He makes a promise, He brings it to pass. When He decrees, it happens. As Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. Whatever God wants, He does. Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, 
Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. God reigns supreme over our tiny, minuscule planet. When he spans the heavens with his span, when, when the, the nations are but a drop in the bucket, regardless of I mean, God is so much bigger, so much more powerful than us. He is the potter, we are the clay, and we really believe that. And I think one of the things you need to do is just look in the Bible for anywhere that it, that it decreases the power of God just a little bit. Like, oh, God can't do that. Over and over, it's just God can, God can do all things. He's just nothing, nothing that he can't do. He is all powerful. He's all, it doesn't ever, ever, doesn't ever limit God. Never. And so you think about some of the implications that God rules the world because he created it by the power of his speech. He's the king and we are his servants. He rules over all objects of creation. I, I love the fact that he's the weatherman. But he's different than the weatherman you might see on TV. The weatherman on TV predicts what the weather might be, but God is the weatherman that he causes and brings the weather. Psalm 147 speaks about that. God rules over the animals. He commands them to come into the ark. Commanding even frogs, gnats, and swarms of insects to go at his bidding. He commands ravens to bring food to Elijah by the brook. He commands the mouths of lions to be shut. He's sovereign over the animals. He commands them and they will obey. He rules over spiritual beings. Angels are sent at his command. Even evil spirits are sent at his command. You can read that. Judges 9, 1 Samuel 16, and 1 Kings 22. Even Satan is under God's command. The universe isn't God and Satan warring. It's Satan rebelling and God's sovereign. So he says, oh, can I, if I touch Job, that, that'll make him rebel against you. It's okay, just don't take his life. So he could do whatever he could, but he couldn't take his life. Satan asked permission to touch Peter. Because see, eventually God is going to take Satan and cast him into the lake of fire for his rebellion. It's not this, it's not this good versus evil battle like this. It's a, it's a God is sovereign over all. And by some way, he's allowing evil in this world to exist, but he's power over that evil. He's sovereign over that evil. God rules over human beings. He gives us life. He determines when and where we live. It is no accident that you're living in the Rockford area, 2017. Acts 17, verse 26 speaks about that. He directs our steps. God is the one who raises up leaders. God pulls down leaders. God buries every king. And God rules over the souls of men. And this, I think, is what makes us distinctive as a church. Many say they believe in the power of God. Yeah, he's sovereign. Oh, but not over, my, not over me, not over my soul, not over my choices. And here's where I think we stand unique. Proverbs 21.1, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of a Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That is, right? You got this river, and it's flowing down. It's called the heart of Barack Obama. And God takes that heart and he turns it wherever he wills. And the same is true about Donald Trump. He takes that heart and he turns it however he wills. And the same is true about your heart. He takes your heart and he turns it however he wills. Because what's true of the king is also true of us.
God is in control. Uh, I mean, a, a, a great example of this. Acts 4, 27. Early church together. Truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, <clears throat> both Herod <clears throat> and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, all who had a hand in the death of Christ were guilty. But you say, well, well, how, how is it then that all these circumstances worked out so beautifully according to the Scriptures? It's because God was changing hearts, moving hearts, the channels of water. God is the great mover of history. History is His story. It's the story that God is writing. Know that God will have mercy on whomever He wants. And we believe that. And you know what? Most people who deny this believe it as well. If you've ever prayed for the salvation of someone, you believe this. Because you say, God, change their heart. You work into their heart and change them to show them the glories of Jesus. That's what you're praying. You're praying that God would do that in people's hearts. Because it's only the grace of God in our hearts that overrules our sinful nature, gives a new heart to discern the truth of the gospel. Because according to 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. In other words, someone born naturally born living in the flesh cannot understand the ways of God because they're spiritually discerned. The only way they can understand is if God grants understanding. It's the only way they can discern is when God changes their heart to believe. And none of us would do this on our own. 1 Peter 1.3 says that God is the one who causes us to be born again. It's the spirit of life that blows into our heart that gives us new life in Christ. We can take as much credit for our spiritual birth as we can for our natural birth. It's God's work who did it. And, and Rock Valley Bible Church, listen, we... We believe that. We believe salvation is all of grace, that we are chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. See, when people believe, it's because God has appointed them to eternal life. Acts thirteen forty eight. when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That is, the ones that God had appointed to eternal life, these are the ones who believed. And we come to faith, it's because of God's sovereign pleasure, John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, these were people who believed. I believed, I received him, absolutely. He gave the right to become children of God. But these people were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man. It wasn't their own will, but they were born of God. God is the one who did it for them. Now again, We can say a lot about that, but we believe in the power of God, sovereign over all creation, sovereign even over our hearts, and he'll have mercy on whom he has mercy. Um, Third, and and I think that 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 sets us apart. That's a distinctive. Some churches believe that. A lot of churches don't. Here's another distinctive. We believe in the power of the gospel. Consider Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first, and also to the Greek. You can't get much clearer than the power of the gospel than right here. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. 
Now, as you, as you think about this, reflect upon it, you might say, wow, that's a strange thing. I mean, we can understand how powerful the words of a president are, right? When, when President Obama says something, or a president like Trump getting there, his word is powerful because his word moved nations and leaders. We can understand the power in a magnetic personality who speaks great things and people are attracted to such a one. We can understand the power of a, of a large assembly of people. That's what makes the Super Bowl so special. There's so many people all in one place, all cheering or booing at the same time. I mean, we can understand the power in an air show to see those roaring jets, but power in the gospel. The gospel is none of those things. It's not written, spoken primarily by rich and famous people and powerful people. In great measure, this gospel promises you a life of suffering and difficulty and hardship. It calls you to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow him. In fact, there are so few that believe the gospel that the big stadiums are rare, full of that. I mean, you go, whatever, NFL stadiums, 16 games across the nation, right? Lots of people, but how, how many are, are there because of the gospel? Few. The gospel doesn't bring you great might and power and strength in this world. But there's power in the gospel. It's the power to take drunkards and make them respectable citizens. It's the power that turns homosexuals into straight men. It's the power that turns idolaters into God worshipers. It's the power that turns demon-possessed men into spirit-controlled men. It's the power that's turned the worst of sinners into the greatest of saints. And I just say to you today, if you need powerful change in your life, then, then believe and trust this gospel that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that he is the one who can save you from your sin by dying on the cross. If you're engulfed in sin today, the only power out of that sin is the gospel. So believe and trust in that gospel. Now, but before we move on, we've got to see, though, that the gospel is for unbelievers for sure. But we also believe the power of the gospel that it's for believers as well. For unbelievers, it is for believers. Just consider the verse right before Romans 1.16. Romans 1.15, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, which is where we get, we're going through Romans, this is the, the theme of Romans, eager to preach the gospel, eager to preach the gospel to who? A church, he's writing to the church, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you Christians of first century in Rome, and you got to say, well, well, why is that? Aren't they saved? Don't they need to, don't they, they don't need to be saved. Oh, but there's a way that the gospel comes powerful in our lives because it always puts our focus where it needs to be. We as Christians or believers, we'll have good days and bad days. I mean, we'll have, we'll have good days, right, where, where things are going well and where we have had our quiet time, we've read our Bible and we're caught up and we, we do this and we respond rightly to our spouse and at work we have a chance to share the gospel and it's wonderful. And what does the gospel do? The gospel humbles our pride and brings us back to say that, yeah, that's all wonderful and good, but that's not where your righteousness lies before God. And, and Christians can have a bad day as well, right? Where they, they wake up late, they had a sinful dream, they, they wake up late, they're, they're irritated and agitated, they speak badly to their spouse as they go out the door, and they have things bad at work, and people obviously, you know, are you really a Christian being accused badly, and you just things are going wrong? You need the gospel on that day. To know that, that God has forgiven those very sins that you have committed that day. 
There's, there's, there's a, a way of cent- centralizing our lives with the gospel that we, we need. As a result, right, we at Rock Valley Bible Church believe in the power of the gospel. We'll focus our attention on the cross of Christ. I mean, I've emotionally changed, emotionally stirred by some of the songs we sang today. Um, Holy God in love became perfect man to bear my blame on the cross he took my sin. By his death, I live again. I, I was just stirred by that. Just power in my heart of just reflecting upon, hallelujah, what a Savior we have. And so we at Rock Valley Bible Church will speak without apology about the cross of Christ. Continue to focus our attention upon the cross of Christ. Sing about the cross of Christ. Meditate on the cross of Christ. Pray in light of the cross of Christ because indeed it is powerful in our lives. We've known it and tasted it. And so, so those are, are really three things that, um, that would set us apart from other churches. Believing in the power of the word of God. Believing in the power of God. Believing in the, the power of the gospel. Well, I want to move on to our structure. Here's things that are going to get really practical. Okay, that's all theoretical, whatever. It's out there. It's focused. It kind of gives high-level direction. But what? just think about, okay, it's our model of ministry. What is the model of ministry that we are here at, at Rock Valley Bible Church? Um, and much of it comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of... Prayers. We see here really four activities. One is the apostles' teaching, devoted to. Another's fellowship. Another's breaking of the bread. Another's prayer. And the early church devoted themselves to these things. That is, they gave strong attention to these four things. And I do believe that these are normative for us today. In other words, we as a church ought to give strong attention to these four activities as well. And um, I could spend time going through talking about the apostles' teaching, what that is. Uh, talking about fellowship, what that is. Talking about breaking of bread, what that is. And talking about prayers, and what that is. And, and we spend a long time, but we're just going to more or less assume those. But there are, you know, some questions there about... Some people say there's only three things. Fellowship, which is the breaking of bread. So some people say only three. The breaking of bread, what is that? Is that communion? Is that uh, eating meals together? I mean, what what exactly is that? There's... There's some discussion and debate about that, but we're just going to keep these four things. I think they're, they're clear enough. Apostles' teaching, there's fellowship among us, there's breaking the bread, which I believe can be both of those, eating together, uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper together, and, and prayers. And so what I want to do is really think about our church in light of Acts 2.42, in light of Sunday mornings. Okay, this is us on Sunday mornings. And, you know, some, somewhat encouraged by just thinking about these, these four things. But here we have prayer, teaching, fellowship, breaking bread. And does that happen at, at Rock Valley Bible Church? Well, we, we pray together. At 9 o'clock in the morning, we pray together as a church. Um, today is wonderful. We ran out of room in, uh, in our family room there. We had to stop, scrunch together to get more people. What a wonderful thing. And um, we pray together. To plead for God's guidance and His strength and His wisdom. To intercede for others. We prayed even this, this day for just hopes for 2017. What God might do in our lives. We gather when we pray together. We share our trials and our difficulties and our hardships with one another. 
We pray so that we visibly demonstrate as our church our complete dependence upon God in everything. We, we pray together to inform those who come for needs of prayer to, to train others to pray, to express our love for one another. You, you, when you pray for someone, it's an expression of love towards them, bringing them before the throne. It's as if you're you know, bringing a friend along here. God, this friend really needs help. And I just I pray that you've got the power. You're all powerful. We already talked, Steve already talked about that today. But can you, can you just help him or her? Pray to learn about God, submit to God's will. Teaching, we do that Sunday morning service. Oh, by the way, also prayer happens in our service this morning. Darren Weeby prayed, and we prayed along with him. So songs or prayers also. <clears throat> uh, teaching Sunday morning, right? Here we are, worship God publicly. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That is uh, instruction to the church about guidance, equipping the church for work of service, to, to bring unity in the church, that we're all on the same board as this teaching comes. Um, we're just teaching to obey God's counsel, to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, to mobilize. I mean, the apostles' teaching is right there so as to help unify us, teach us in God's will how we should go. Also, we do have a, a fellowship hour, 1130. And uh, don't think that's unimportant at Rock Valley Bible Church. That's, that's an important time. Every bit as important as a prayer meeting, every bit as important as what we do here. We try to sustain that time with snacks so you can connect with others, so you can encourage one another by, by talking or praying with them, by discovering new ways to serve them, by stimulating one another to love and good deeds, by meeting needs, strengthening relationships so that you know, at that time, when it's kind of a free-for-all, you say, yeah, I don't know that person. Let me go over and talk to that person. It's a chance for us to really do that in a way that you, you can't if we just kind of come in and file out. And, and there are some churches that do this well. There are other churches that don't do this so well. And um, I, I believe on Sunday mornings we ought to do that. The breaking of bread, we do that. The Lord's Supper, every four to six weeks, we do that. First Sunday of the month as we celebrate our fellowship dinners together. Just that there's a way that, that eating together forms a bond with one another. That's where the, the fellowship breaking of bread, sometimes people say those are, are much the same thing. Um, but that takes place on, on Sunday morning as well. And so, like I asked you about enjoying His grace, extending His glory, where's our weakest point? Maybe your weakest point is different. But I think that we do a pretty good job at teaching. I think we do a good job at fellowship. We are eating together, celebrating the Lord's Supper. I think we're weakest at prayer. It's, uh, prayer is a barometer of the heart and um, speaks of our lack of prayer, our coldness of heart. And um, I see the coldness of my heart and my lack of praying more than any other place. I just just think about, you know, just how often I can be prayerless, trusting in my own strength. And I just say, may the Lord help me, and may the Lord help us. And last year we spent five Sundays just teaching about the priority of prayer, that we might be demonstrably dependent upon God, just so that God prospers Rock Valley Bible Church. And we look on that and we say, wow, wow, look, look at what they did. And we say, no, no, it was God who did that. Well, how do you know? Because we prayed. Because we prayed. 
And I think really the only way that can happen is if we are, are praying. I preached a message last New Year's. The, the message I preached was called Circles of Prayer. I just encourage you to be a prayer, a prayer alone. I encourage you to pray with your spouse. You know, I'm not going to take a, a hands-up survey right here, but I would guess less than half of you are praying with your spouse. That would be my guess. Okay? So if you're not, I say join the club to pray with your spouse. I encourage you to pray with your family, family worship. Just, just pray together. Uh, pray in your small group and pray in your church. Just circles are forever expanding. You're uh, first alone, your spouse, and your family, a small group, and then family. And you can even include there maybe some kind of prayer group that you're involved with. Just, just expand that circle of prayer. And I believe that, that the more tightly the one is alone, the more readily you will come to others. I just encourage you to just consider strongly coming an hour earlier to church. Okay? Now, for some of you, you know, kids, it's difficult to come. Um, but we sought to prioritize the church year after year after year. We would pressure, hey, we need a Sunday school. I'm like, I don't think we need more teaching at Rock Valley Bible Church. I think we need more depending. I think we need more, more prayer. We were ready to ditch it a year ago until we just said, hey, let's, let's not. It's really important. And many of you stepped up to that call. And, and Sunday format, prayer format, it's not perfect. It's awkward sometimes. It's hard to pray. But I, I do believe that if, if we'd come with zealous hearts, ready to pray, things would be different. I just say it starts with me. I mean, I'm often late to prayer meeting, which shows that I'm preaching one thing, I'm living another, okay? I'm confessing my hypocrisy. But I, this, my, my message here is, is about a biblical model of ministry, I think, would, would put prayer so at the center that, that we're depending upon God to, to do and to work, that that's what I long for us to be. That's what I long for us to go. And we're, we're not quite there. And I just encourage you to come with a zealous heart to prayer meeting and help us all be more zealous and fervent in, in prayers. Well, the Sunday morning gatherings, I've said this before, I want to say it again, that I, I want to picture our, our times on Sunday morning. This is a philosophy of ministry as a big family reunion. It doesn't the Bible talk about brothers and sisters in Christ. They talk about the church being a family, like you relate to one another's brothers and sisters. I want us to be brothers and sisters where we get to go to a family reunion, not just once every summer, once every year, or once every five years or ten years when the whatever family is going to get together, but every week we get to have a family reunion. In the best sense of the word, where cousins are together. I was in my office doing some last minute preparation for a message, and I just heard this chatter, and I'm not even sure what girls were out there, but they were chattering and talking about the ski trip and talking about this and that, and this is like a buzz. And I was like, wow, these are like cousins who haven't seen each other for a while. I'm like, yes! That's what we should be. We should be a family reunion every Sunday. The picture out on the lawn when the kids are playing their soccer and their balls and we're throwing softballs, we're shooting frisbees or they're playing ultimate frisbee. That's like perfect. That's everything that I think the Bible would call us to be as a church, showing joy in being a, a family reunion. Well, apart from the Sunday morning gatherings. We do have other meetings. You think about what is the structure of Rock Valley Bible Church, and, and there are other meetings we have, but predominantly, this is our, what are, we got Sunday mornings and we got small groups. That's all we got. Okay? Sunday mornings and small groups. I mean, this is time for, for application. We're taking the message, taking the Word of God, just saying, is it applying in your life? This is a time really to pray together. 
to foster relationships with one another. This is a time to develop future leaders in the context of a smaller community. It's a smaller environment where it's easier to pray. We share our lives, enjoy time with one another, provide accountability. And here's what's interesting. As I thought about it, that happens at our small groups. I mean, in our small group, we typically go around and say, what's happening in your life? How can we pray for you? And then we pray for everyone. So we're fellowshipping together. We're talking about that. We're asking about prayer. We're praying together. We've had some snacks beforehand. We've ate together. And then we go over some teaching with an applicational focus. And like all those things happen in our small groups, but on a smaller level. And, and the vision of the ministry right now, we have four small groups. But the vision would be that as things get bigger, what do we do? You just multiply small groups. And so you've got more small groups so that people are always in a smaller group of people where they can really experience um, prayer and teaching and fellowship and the, the breaking of bread where everyone can, can be together. So think about it. At Rock Valley Bible Church, when we come together with our, our gatherings, it's not that we just come together to come together because that's just what we do. There's a purpose behind it. There's a model behind uh, what we're doing. And as God prospers us, we grow other things. Now, on top of that, there are a bunch of other meetings that are going on, whether it's Bible studies or, or prayer groups or events like Vacation Bible School or special services like our Christmas Eve service or a Good Friday service or youth Bible study or special events or pulling people in. There's, there's a, a lot of other things going on, okay? And those are, those are going on out, outside of stuff. And I, I encourage that. I, I think that that's a sign of fellowship. That's a sign of just stuff happening that's wonderful. Okay, but, but really, you can think about this wheel and the spokes with these other wheels. That's, that's the core. That's what we're calling you to, is just to gather together the Sundays and then gather in a small group. It's a model of ministry. Well, finally, just our, our function. Um, our function. I, I didn't put this in the overhead. You're just going to have to listen, or you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, this speaks about the body. I'm just going to read it. It's a very familiar passage. But as I think about how it is a church should function, this is the fault where I go. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each individually as he wills. Now just catch that. God's giving all these gifts. I went over them quickly. Okay, because the details are not so important. What is important is that God is the one, the Spirit is the one who's, who's giving gifts to each of us and gifting us intentionally for the purpose of building up the church. Again, I read 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. He's thinking about how to gift each one. And then he talks about the picture of a body. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. 
If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it any less part of the body. Is If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged intentionally by his will the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we still greater honor, and our unpresentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you're all the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, there's a lot there, but it's a common illustration. And when I think of the church, I often think of the body illustration, that we are a body. Different giftedness, different skills, abilities, but one body. And one of the things that Paul's putting here is the organic nature of the church, right? Where people just naturally serve. Like, you don't have to tell your hand how to serve. If you're a hand, you do hand things. If you're an eye, you do eye things. If you're a head, you do head things. If you're a foot, you do feet things. And, and the goal is that everything comes together naturally and, and organically, right? When a member hurts, all hurt. When a member thrives, all rejoice. Paul gives a similar picture in Ephesians 4, right? Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up into every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is required, equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds up itself in love. So there you go, you got members working, serving, building up in love, and organic, just like a body does. Organic nature of the church, a body grows simply by itself, very little instruction, it just happens. And over the years of Rock Valley Bible Church, I just say this has been the dominating picture in my mind, right? Where people are organically serving one another, where, where people hear of needs and are going after it and are just saying, love one another, and, and they find out ways to love one another. And, uh, and I, I think that there's born great fruit at Rock Valley Bible Church from that, but I think there's also some weaknesses as well, and I... So I think about reading volunteer ministry books. I said, this is a, a weakness. I don't spend a lot of time as much as I should, like overseeing that, giving guidance to that. It's an area of my weakness to give structure to what I'm encouraging just happen organically. And truth be told, I think this is one of the biggest reasons I'm pursuing my doctor ministry degree to help me think through establishing more structure in the life of our church. Uh, Colin Marshall and uh, Tony Payne wrote a great book called The Trellis and the Vine. How many are you familiar with this book? Okay. I, I remember reading this book, and it's very interesting. I, I agree wholeheartedly with the book, um, but fall to a different side than what often is, is being addressed in here. What, what they do is they, 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 they show this picture of a trellis and a vine. A trellis is like, like this, so what? The vine can grow up through into the trellis. And, um, and they liken that to ministry. So the, the, the trellis is like, like um, organization and, um, 
you know, systematic things. And the vine is where the life is. And oftentimes, one of the dangers of a church is there's so much trellis that it sucks out the life. There's so much organization, so much structure, so much program, so much activity, so much, so much pulling away, but there's no life. And I think one of my opposite problems is that, yeah, there's life here, but there's no trellis to be growing up the vine. But let me just, let me just read this, kind of give you an idea of, of how we function and where, where we could get better, where I can get better, where I need your help to get like, I'm not good at this. But as I sat on my back veranda and observed the two trellises, it's occurred to me more than once that most churches are a mixture of trellis and vine. The basic work of any Christian ministry is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of God's Spirit and to see people converted, changed, and grow in the maturity in that gospel. That's the work of planting water or fertilizing and tending the vine. However, just as some sort of framework is needed to help a vine grow, so Christian ministries also need some structure and support. It may not be much, but at the very least, we need somewhere to meet, some Bibles to read from, and some basic structures of leadership within our group. All Christian churches, fellowships, or ministry have some kind of trellis that gives shape and support to that work. As the ministry grows, the trellis also needs attention. Management, finances, infrastructure, organization, governance, these all become more important and more complex as the vine grows. In this sense, a good trellis workers are invaluable, and all growing ministries need them. But where's the state of the trellis and the vine at your church? Perhaps trellis work has taken over from vine work. There are committees and structures and programs and activities and fundraising efforts, and many people put lots of time to keeping them all going, but the actual work of growing the vine falls to a very few. In fact, perhaps the only real vine growing happens in the regular Sunday service and then only by the pastor who preaches a sermon. If this is your church, and I don't think that's our church, but just to show you kind of, if this is your church, then there's every chance the vine is looking a bit tired, the leaves are less green, the flowers are less profuse, and it's been some time since any new shoots have been seen. The pastor keeps working away manfully, feeling overworked and underappreciated and a little discouraged that his faithful vine work each Sunday doesn't seem to bear much fruit. In fact, he often feels he would like to do more to help and encourage others to be involved in the vine work, the work of watering and planting and helping people grow in Christ. But the sad truth is that most of the trellis work also seems to fall to him to organize, organizing rosters and property and building issues and committees and finances and budgets and overseeing the church office and planning and running events. There's just no time. And that's the thing about trellis work. It takes over from vine work. Perhaps it's because trellis work is easier and it's less personally threatening. Vine work is personal and requires much prayer. It requires us to depend upon God and open our mouths and speak God's word in some way to another person. By nature, by sinful nature that is, we shy away from this. What would you rather do? Go to a, a church working bee? Go to a church working bee and sweep up some leaves or share the gospel with your neighbor over the back fence? Which is easier? To have a business meeting about the state of the carpet or to have a difficult personal meeting where you need to rebuke a friend about his sinful behavior. Trellis work also often looks more impressive than vine work. It's more visible and structural. We can point to something tangible, a committee, an event, a program, a budget, an infrastructure, and say that we've achieved something. We can build our trellis till it reaches to the heavens in the hope of making a name for ourselves, but there may still be very little growth on the vine. It says, there's one more paragraph. The concentration on trellis work that is so common in many churches derives from an institutional view of Christian ministry. It's very possible for churches, Christian organizations, whole denominations to be totally given over to maintaining their institution. 
One church I know of has 23 different organizations and structures functioning weekly, all of which are listed in the weekly bulletin. All these different activities start as good ideas for growth and life of the church at some point in the past, and they certainly result in lots of people being around the church building during the week doing lots of different things. But how much actual vine work has taken place? How many people are hearing God's word and by the power of spirit growing in knowledge and godliness? In this particular church, the answer is very few. And so that kind of gives you an idea of, of trellis work and vine work. It gives you an idea of an organic uh, nature of a church as opposed to a, an organizational uh, perspective of the church. And you do need that. But there can be some times where it becomes just all organizational, all about um, people and programs. There's lots of activity, but little vine work. And I just hope at Rock Valley Bible Church we would, we would know what vine work is. We would be involved in vine work. We would engage in vine work. We'd see us grow and you can pray for me that I'd be a better builder of trellises for us to be able to see that vine grow. We might have involvement, be fully engaged in the ministry. So my presentation, I went long. Apologize for that. But may the Lord direct us today. So let's pray. Father, I pray that in all ways, God, you would direct us to know us at a church what it is we ought to be. God, this is our working model of ministry, and I just would pray even you'd show us areas that need improvement. As, as I present this this week, um, there will be critique. There will be talk. There will be help about how to take next steps and how to, how to focus things right and how to build and grow and, and God, see us make more of an impact in this world. Um, so I, I pray, God, you would help us. This new year, be, be around us and bless us. God, help us to enjoy your grace. God, help us to extend your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.